Welcome to the Philip Wiley Show. Take a look behind the curtain of professional hacking and hear compelling discussions with guests from diverse backgrounds who share a common curiosity and passion for challenges and their job. And now, here's your host, offensive security professional, educator, mentor, and author, Philip Wiley. Hello and welcome to a new episode. I'm really excited to have my good friend and former coworker Corey LeBlue joining me today. Uh, we worked together in our very first, my very first pen test job, uh, back consulting. So it was pretty interesting. Corey's been one of the people that we, that I really relied on a lot when I was starting out. We got to do probably one of my most favorite all-time pen tests was, was the one we're on site for that large law firm in Dallas, and there was like five or something of us that we had to get. As much done as we could in 40 hours is a lot of fun, and we got to kind of know each other a little bit better then. So uh, it's really an honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome, Corey. Thanks a lot, Phil. Yeah, that was a fun uh, engagement. I think it was me, you, Matt, and Jason. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, uh, that building was about the swankiest building I've ever been in. It was pretty amazing, the cars outside that place. I, I saw two, uh, two Bentleys. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you go to some of these other uh, law firms or things and you'll see like a Lexus or something and or a Mercedes, but, you know, Bentleys and Porsches and whatever else they had there was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, just the, the lobby of that place it was fancier than any hotel I've been in. One of the interesting things, too, I share a lot with people, too, that sometimes companies rely on consultants to to point out vulnerabilities and stuff because sometimes they're company doesn't listen but remember the the chief security officer was pointing out vulnerabilities to us so we'd find it so it could end up in a report and finally get fixed yeah yeah i liked him he was a good guy um where is he from sweden or something yeah something like that but yeah you really we don't normally always get that kind of uh helpfulness you know sometimes you know trying to deal with the you know Customers, sometimes they're not always so keen on you finding vulnerabilities, but it was interesting that he wanted to make sure everything was uncovered so they could justify remediation. I remember you uh, digging around in an unauthenticated database, if I recall. Actually, I think that was, I think that was Carter, actually, I believe. That was my, my funny experience there was the first time I accidentally DOSed something because I was using a, a Metasploit module and didn't notice that it was a denial of service. <laughs> Yeah, I've done worse. Uh, my net network pen testing days, trying to do ARP spoofing and not properly forwarding packets. That uh, that was fun. <laughs> so before we get too far into the show, why don't you introduce yourself? Kind of, you know, how you got started and kind of where you're at today in your career. Yeah, Corey LeBlue. Uh, I've been doing this about 19 years, offensive security consulting. Uh, the first 10 years were on network. Uh, base testing. Uh, it's kind of before the modern red teaming era. So um, kind of got bored with that a little bit and moved into the web app stuff. Um, while I was doing the network testing, I was working for a company, Digital Defense, and I was able to uh, disclose several CVEs, including uh, in Citrix and Apple products. So that kind of is what got me uh, into the web app stuff. Then um, I had an OWASP project that was kind of short-lived based on like trying to design a scanner, like the OWASP web application scanner specification project, which kind of spelled out OWASP. Um, (laughs) 
So then, uh, then I got to Verizon and I read, did more of the uh, app testing and some network testing, and that's where we met. Um, I was at Verizon for the majority of 10 years with one year away at this company called ISE. Um, I believe one of your old uh, podcast uh, from your other podcast works there. Um, but yeah, I went back to Verizon from there and then um, just recently had moved into more of a managerial slash technical role as a practice manager at a company called Set Solutions. And I just left there and I'm kind of uh, feeling out my next steps. Yeah, very interesting. I think one of the things that listeners will really would be interested in, because I know a lot of people are so fascinated with the physical and social engineering part, and you have a lot of experience with that. And uh, you kind of got started out that way, didn't you? Yeah, my first job, I was doing a lot of social engineering. Um, it, uh, it's fun. It's fun at first, and then it kind of gets to be where it's just stress. Um Behind me, I have a poster of all my fake IDs made into a poster. Just, uh, I was going to see your ID. Um, they're horrible. I mean, they were my old boss's body with my head superimposed in Microsoft Word. And just <laughs> laminated. And um, it always worked. You'd, uh, you'd have a badge, and uh, you'd show them the badge and the ID. Their, their eyes would go to the badge. you put her away before they could look at the ID. Um, my supervisor, I think, even a few times put his weight on the ID as 500 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I got in trouble uh, or close calls, it was never because of the ID. Um, that was kind of surprising because they're really horrible. I'll send you a picture later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. So how elaborate did any of the uniforms that, that you used for any of those engagements? Uh, they were, we were going as like uh, fire inspectors, so they were just kind of a generic looking fire inspector thing, and we just changed the monogramming on the, on each suit. Um, <clears throat> it was funny, one time I was going through airport security, and they decided to check my carry-on bag. Well, I have all sorts of um, uniforms, fake badges, fake IDs. They're tearing through all that and not paying attention. The thing that they question me on is I had bought a plastic like laser level just as a prop to put on my belt just to look as something and that's what tsa quizzed me about just that <laughs> not the ids not the uniforms <laughs> it's pretty amazing yeah um really only got in trouble right then the last time i did it yeah um, i went to the client site and there was a security guard there. He kind of tailed me the whole whole way, and I got away. But um, he was a little suspicious, and he happened to know the fire inspector, fire marshal. So he called him up, and they call client calls me, and they're like, "Get down here now!" Well, I'm almost to the next sprint. No, get down here now. So I get there, and he is pissed. So in about five minutes, I'm in handcuffs, and. Um, get quizzed there and then he's bringing me to the police station he's like uh, how much money do you make and I told him and he's like for your age that's pretty good not enough for this though is it like, <laughs> that's why my resumes are out right now <laughs> <laughs> so so was that was that your last physical yes and uh, what's funny is once we got to the police station it was like uh one of those rooms with like the kind of uh cubicle type walls you know the really thin walls and I heard him on the phone with the DA and got to hear the DA chew him out for uh, cuffing me without arresting me. 
I bet that was pretty scary, especially especially at that young of an age. <laughs> yeah, because I was like 25 at the time, 25, 26. So did you have your get-out-of-jail-free card? Yeah, I did. Uh, he didn't seem to care. <laughs> <laughs> um, one time, I'm not sure if it was that one or another time, I may have been that one, I uh, got busted, gave him my card, and had to have been that time because uh, the client tried to deny that they knew we were dressing as the fire inspector, even though on the get-out-of-jail-free card, they explicitly said it with their signature right below it. So um, that was a little scary and frustrating. Yeah, it's kind of a little, when you get the sore loser and one of those engagements compared to the frustrated uh, system administrator that you end up, you know, poning their systems and look bad. I guess it's kind of these guys have a little more uh, worse retaliation. <laughs> yeah, um, on the social engineering engagements, which is always kind of awkward is I'd go in there, you know, dress as a fire marshal, do all this. And the next day I'd show up there in a suit and tie. And just some of the looks that people would give me, and I'd just be kind of like, sorry. <laughs> I'd just be, do a double take. <laughs> so did you see, just uh, interesting on some of those situations, do you see much cases where, you know, people really got reprimanded or lost their jobs over some of the social engineering or physical assessments? No, we actually had it written in the contract that they couldn't do that. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. As far as I know, no one did, but um, there were still some awkward situations. Yeah, I've seen some other uh, consultants that would not rat out who they, you know, who they were able to get on over, get over on because they didn't want someone to lose their job. But that's great that it's in in the contract. And truly, people shouldn't, you know, do that anyway. They should, you know, build that into their security awareness. And and you know, not everyone everyone knows about it. Like in a company, like I've been to one where um, I actually social engineered the CEO. The CFO hired us. He didn't even tell the CEO. So I had the CEO like guiding me around the bank because um, <laughs> when I used to do it, it was pretty much all banks and credit unions, like small banks and credit unions. That's really good because, you know, a lot of cases on some of those social engineering engagements, they usually have certain people that are out of scope. I did one one time that like one of the upper management's son was out of scope. He was mm -hmm. out of scope. The CEO, there were several people that are out of scope for it, but you know, you're really kind of, you know, there's some potential vulnerabilities there that you're not going to expose if you take people out of the scope. I mean, it's kind of scary how much uh, just being in a uniform works, you know, like people don't question it. Um, it's just, it's all attitude, all just going in there and uh, looking the part. Uh, all you have to, you don't have to know the whole thing. Like it's a fire marshal, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know a little bit more than the person that you're talking to. Yeah. So did you, ever, did you ever use a persona of someone that was like management or anything like that? As far as I recall, it was all, uh, all fire inspector OSHA. Basically, um, some uh, an occupation that would give you access to the entire facility, you know, because you wanted to be able to get in the, in the vault, et cetera. So, you know, fire inspector has access. OSHA inspector may have access. Um, I think other people use like electrician and whatnot. So when you kind of moved out of the the uh, social and physical security, did you like the network and web app pen testing better than you did the social engineering physical? Well, I was doing the social engineering and the networking stuff at the same time, as well as network vulnerability assessments and policy review type stuff. 
And I just pretty much swore off the social engineering after that. Um, like in my resume, you won't even see a reference to it. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, and that, the thing that's crazy about it is the in-person social engineering always sounded easier than on the phone. Because on the phone, people are kind of suspicious. But, you know, you go in there looking the part, they're not, they're not going to question you as much. Yeah, that's a good point. Because anytime you get a call nowadays, especially, you question where it's legitimate. Because I know, like on my cell phone, it's rare that I actually get a call from someone that's actually legit. It's usually someone either trying to sell something, either trying to scam you. So I can see where in person works better. Yeah. And that's even with spoofing phone numbers and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Spoofing phone numbers. Remember some of those sites or services that you could use and actually change your voice too. If you called through, you could, would change the, your voice. Yeah. I had one of those. I probably still have credits for it. somewhere. <laughs> I did that one time I was oh, testing. Yeah. I was testing one out one time for, for an engagement and I was playing around with it. And I, I pranked my mom. I called my mom <laughs> and spoofed a phone number from like her sister. <laughs> yeah. I, I pranked somebody. I don't remember. Um, but I was actually using it on for, <clears throat> for work as well. Just one of those paid services. But, um, you know, if you have the access to the PPX and stuff like this one company, they would just do it themselves. Didn't have to use a third party service. Very cool. So what, what's like one of your famous all favorite all time hacks? So something you exploited that was probably like your most prized hack. There are a few that were interesting. Um, one, it was just the sheer number of vulnerabilities. I found a vulnerability that uh, allowed cross site scripting or cross site request forgery to upload a document with a malicious malicious file like .exe and it also had persistent cross-site scripting in the file name. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was neat. And then another time was um, hacking a point of sale system, uh, basically got in through a web app and then jumped around into some computers and uh, ran like a memory scanning program to read uh, gift card numbers from memory. Oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. There wasn't that tested after the whole uh, Target fiasco and all that. Yeah, what, something else that, that was kind of just thought about, you know, since you've been in pen testing for so long, the offensive security side, you know, compared to when you started, compared to now, how do you rate the difficulty to be able to hack into something? And and as far as just what you have to learn nowadays compared to before, how would you compare the two? Uh, like I do mainly applications. Applications are just a lot more hardened. Um, you know, you'll still see some of the stuff. It depends on the client, really. Like, one of my more recent clients, they're pretty locked down. You're not really finding anything for them. I've never even found a high vulnerability for them. But uh, some you'll still see cross-site scripting, a lot more on the persistent cross-site scripting. All the reflected sometimes gets uh, cleared up really easy. But if you leave uh, breadcrumbs, kind of define HTML injection, you can sometimes find stored cross-site scripting. Uh, a lot of those vulnerabilities that I disclosed, like the one with Apple and um a few others were all directory traversal vulnerabilities. And like, I never see directory traversal vulnerabilities anymore. But uh, back then, you could just point a commercial scanner in the app, an unknown app, and you got a directory <laughs> traversal vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, I guess it seems like people have gotten a lot better with AppSec these days and, and WAFs. Yeah, and um, SQL injection is still out there, but you know, it's. Generally more complex, you'll see more blind than you would back 
way back when it was like always just an error message that told you everything. <laughs> yeah. So, so for someone that's wanting to get started out, what would you do now? Because you've kind of seen how things evolve. What's the best way for someone that wants to get started in pen testing? Well, I got started. I got interested in it. I read about it in like network world uh, interview with a pen tester. And I was just kind of like, wow, I want to do that. So um, I got CCNA and Security Plus and I worked at a few help desks. And from there, I got my first pen test job, which um, was all the social engineering and network stuff. And um, kind of signed on for pennies. But then, you know, uh, as a profession, as you get more experienced, uh, I can pay a lot better. But um, nowadays, I think I tell people, like, obviously, the uh, the background for, like, the CCNA is good. But uh, the OSCP, I know you have that. That's kind of a good good start. Like, uh, Andrew seemed to recognize that a lot. So, yeah, nowadays, do you think one of the things I've kind of seen, just what curious what, what your uh, views are, is one of the things I've noticed, and I have, you know, some friends that are pretty good and pen testing, but they don't have the web app pen testing background, but they seem to have a difficult time. So it really seems from what I've seen that you really need to have uh, more of a web app pen testing background than what you previously had to have. Yeah. I mean, it's just more complex, a lot more things thrown in. Um, you know, you'll see random stuff like web sockets, rest APIs. I uh, used to see soap APIs, which, don't really see that anymore. Uh, the first security tool that I wrote was kind of a dumb uh, soap fuzzer that just uh, iterated over FuzzDB and threw it at uh, soap services. But um, yeah, a lot more understanding on the API stuff. I mean, even that, I'm still wrapping my head around some of it. It's just uh, so much, so different than just your traditional testing. It's really interesting how we, we didn't have much good resources for learning API pen testing until recently. Yeah. I mean, I just finished the book hacking APIs a few weeks ago, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I was messing with the OWASP juice shop and the OWASP crappy vulnerable API. I've heard about like a API university. I think it's called. I've seen that on LinkedIn, but haven't had a chance to mess with it yet. I think they offer free API security uh, to, uh, training. Yeah, that one's a pretty good one. The pen testing one's done by Corey Ball, the author of that book that you were mentioning. And then they just released a new one. It's just API security in general, not focused just on pen testing. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely where it's moving is the API stuff. And, um, you know, even even your traditional thick client apps, like some people are rewriting on that interface with a uh, REST API on the back end instead of just a traditional thick client server structure. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too when you you mentioned that and, and thinking about APIs. Remember back in the day when we had the middleware servers before APIs, you had like Microsoft BizWorks to be able to interconnect different platforms? Yeah, yeah. Still see that sometimes. Um, I had something I was going to say. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just kind of interesting to, to see how, how that's changed because I remember that Microsoft BizWorks. And I guess it's really kind of when XML started coming around for interoperability, the different systems and stuff through like the middleware servers. Yeah. Speaking of like the XML, like I was talking about SOAP earlier, one thing that was kind of funny was um, there's a website I was testing. Um, 
And they had installed like a forum on top of the regular app. Just, I don't know why they installed it, but it had a default <laughs> like soap web service and had a, and a or one equals one SQL injection vulnerability. So through the soap interface, I could pull their entire database. Oh, wow. So it's just using the <laughs> SQL map and just exploring the database. Pretty amazing. Yeah, but you don't really see soap as much anymore. But rest is definitely where it's at. Yeah, and did you see recently someone came out with the the Black Hat GraphQL book? Have you checked that out yet? No, I haven't. Um, but I guess about six months ago, I ran across a GraphQL application, and I didn't even know what it was until GraphQL until I was testing it. Um, I just learned about like introspection and stuff like that. Uh, didn't really get too far. Just that your basic testing kind of so the hacking apis book covers it a little bit i kind of use that as reference the uh, graphql book wasn't out yet but um be neat i mean i wonder if it'll take as long for that to be implemented as it did for rest because rest you know like back in my network pen testing days they were talking about it and it's an intel like really recent that you're seeing it prevalent yeah so what are kind of your views on someone that's getting started out? How important is it to learn Burp Suite? If you're doing web app testing, it's just needed. I mean, that's what you do. Um, I, I live in Burp Suite when I'm testing web apps. And nowadays, they have all sorts of extensions to uh, help with different things for, for it, from encoding, decoding, to supporting things like SAML, um, REST, uh, authentication testing, et cetera. It's just really extensible and um that's another thing i've written uh scripts for burp suite in the past but um they're kind of the functionality's kind of been implemented into burp suite so that's kind of dead and gone <laughs> yeah but, it's um, kind of it's kind of interesting how things like burp suite has made things easier because it seemed like at one time to do some of the things you'd need to know how to script or code to do certain things but it seems like the tools have evolved where you don't have to have to rely as much on scripting and coding these days. Yeah, and Burp also does that Python API, so that makes it even easier interfacing with Python instead of having to learn Java. Um, but yeah, whenever I got started, the first proxy I was messing with was Paros. Okay, yep, I remember that. And I think that actually, the base of that actually became Zap, if I recall. Yeah, I believe so. And then even like... Uh, Durbuster is actually kind of built at that some of that logic or programming is built into Zap, I believe, too. Yeah, it's imagine it's crazy how many Durbuster clones they have. GoBuster and yeah. Whatever. So what's your favorite fuzzer to use? I live in Burp. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I I, I live in Burp repeater more than anything. Mm -hmm. like, I don't use Intruder that that much, but I'll have 110 repeater tabs open. <laughs> sound like literally me, sound like me well actually my browser tabs are worse than that <laughs> yeah so um yeah just really live inside burp doing web app tests um you know also if i'm using intruder using something like sec lists or whatnot as uh dictionaries kind of used to be fuzzdb and then have more advanced more advanced lists out now yeah um, so i live i live inside a repeater 
So, so one of the things I think is be kind of interesting to, to share, because I know you in recent years got into, to working out, lifting weights and stuff. And, you know, one of the things we always hear is security professionals, you know, it's a high stress job. We need ways to, to, to relieve the stress and kind of cope with things and help our mental health. So has that really helped you a lot as far as trying to help maintain your mental health? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely helps with the stress. Um, just a good way to get it all out and just kind of a good way to disconnect because whenever you're really lifting heavy weights, you're just thinking about that. You're not thinking about work. You're not thinking about that report that's overdue or whatnot. Um, or yeah, it's just kind of an escape. Um, something I can do a few times a week, sometimes during lunch and, uh, just, yeah, it's kind of become my go-to hobby at this point. Then collecting records, um, you can probably see some of the collection over there. I've got over a bookshelf full. <laughs> uh, very cool. So kind of uh, what kind of, you know, I know what I know what your music preference is, but if you don't mind sharing your listeners what your, your music tastes are like. Mainly punk stuff, like old school punk. Um, a little bit of other stuff. A uh, little bit of metal, ska. Um dub reggae and stuff like that but i mean 90 percent punk yeah i remember you used to be into skateboarding when you're younger is that really what got you into to listening to punk or was it the other way around actually i was into rollerblading i'd jump on handrails oh okay rollerblades oh very cool it, it kind of coincided with it like i found out a bunch of punk bands from the skate videos but i was kind of discovering on my own too like um just that's when like Green Day and Rancid were blowing up, and those were kind of my introduction to it. I, I'd heard the Ramones as a kid, like, you know, a young kid, but kind of liked it, but didn't really get into it. But um, Green Day and Rancid kind of got me into it. Yeah, for me, the Ramones, there's a couple of songs I like, but like maybe not all of them. But yeah, I'm more of a Green Day person myself, too. The first four Ramones albums are great. The rest of it's kind of spotty. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually saw them live when I was like 14 or 15. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. Actually, speaking of Green Day, I actually took my daughter to a concert one time to see Green Day. That's been probably about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little less. I think I saw them around that same time. Um, went by myself and I kind of got bored and left. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big concert. You know, it's a big conference hall in the or big arena and I was used to like going to little punk shows and like little bars and stuff so it was just kind of boring you know yeah it just kind of loses that original vibe yeah, <laughs> yeah. so you still do any rollerblading or no my knees can't take it no, I'm, I'm gonna teach my daughter how to do some regular rollerblading but I can't jump it up on things and stuff it's just I'm too old now <laughs> Yeah, I used to like to to rollerblade for a while. I started out on quad skates and used to skateboard and like like any kind of skating, actually ice skating, which made it easier to learn how to ski. Yeah, um, yeah, I used to jump staircases and do like five forties over them and stuff. And like I had a uh, practice grind rail at my parents' house that I just I'd spend hours on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbors would watch me and stuff, and then just. Yeah, it was probably the most fun I've had was doing that stuff. Yeah, it's amazing we we survived through childhood because one of the things we did too is we'd set up ramps and jump in on our bikes. And I remember one time my my brother and I were riding on the same bike and we jumped like this really messed up uh, sidewalk in my grandparents' neighborhood where really the ground had shifted and we just kind of jumped it and we did 
we landed in the fork of the bike broke off and my brother landed it cut his chin open and had to go to the emergency room <laughs> yeah i only had one concussion and a few broken hands <laughs> <laughs> so did your mom make you wear a helmet and all the pads and stuff uh they tried they tried <laughs> yeah, work. yeah my mom went at this garage sale and bought us this big old white motorcycle helmet which was kind of heavy for what we need to do but expected us wanted us to wear a helmet elbow pads and knee pads when we rode skateboards yeah nowadays like i built a little rail just to play around on like five years ago or something you know it's like four inches off the ground and i'm wearing a helmet whereas i used to jump on handrails over stairs not wearing a helmet it's just like yeah i'm not even gonna I'm not gonna tempt the fates on that one you probably wonder now how you survived through all that huh <laughs> i uh i mean yeah, like one time I broke my hand and I didn't realize it was broken. I used it as an excuse to get out of school. And then the uh, doctor's like, well, I don't know. I'm like, what, if it's broken? I was like, no, if you have to have surgery or not. I ended up having to have surgery once oh, wow. I used to get out of school. <laughs> <laughs> I still have some pens in my hand from that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there any advice you'd like to share or closing comments you'd like to give our listeners? Um, yeah, I mean, like offensive security, you know, it's something that you really have to be into. Like it's, it's gotta be your hobby to really excel at it. And, um, you know, just start with the networking and stuff. Always, um, coding, good way to go. I mean, I'd say like probably Python or go and just really stick with it. Cause one problem, one thing that I've done is jumped around too many languages and kind of like dabbled in a lot, but never really mastered one too much. So um, I'd say pick something and stick with it. Um, general purpose would be Python. Or if you want to get into exploit development, get into like C, C++ and assembly language. But um, yeah, just have fun with it. Uh, great advice. That's one of the things I've kind of learned too, is if you, if you like doing it, then you're able to put the time and effort in. If it's something you don't like, you're not want, wanting to put in all those hours to to learn. And it seems like you especially have to do that up front. And then, of course, keeping up with it, too. Yeah, and I always kind of like learning. I kind of pursued certifications, not really for, for the cert all the time, but kind of like, oh, I want to know this. I'm just going to study it for this knowledge and then get the cert to kind of prove to myself that I've mastered this um, subject area. Very cool. Well, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to join the podcast. It's been, it's been fun chatting with you. Yeah, it's been great. Um, thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to The Philip Wiley Show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, to learn more about Philip, go to thehackermaker.com and connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Philip Wiley. Until next time.